Beloved in Christ our Lord, in the last few decades, the desire for sincerity has risen greatly. Having a friend who is sincere is more important to us than having a friend who is cool. Having a spouse who is sincere is more important than having a spouse who is handsome or rich. A sincere politician is more important than a wise politician to some of us. I think you get the idea. We value sincerity because we are tired of being lied to. Lied to by the news media, lied to by our friends, by our leaders. We want to hear the, what we want, what we hear, to be quote-unquote legitimate. We want consistency between the internal thoughts of the person and the words that they speak. Sincerity, in the last few decades, has become the gold standard of value. Now, on first glance, this isn't such a bad thing. Consistency and truth are important. But here's the problem. Sincerity, as we understand it today, isn't just another word for truth. I might believe something so sincerely, and I still might be mistaken. I can be sincere, but I can be sincerely wrong. That's what the word has come to mean. But traditionally, traditionally sincerity meant something different. The real definition, or you could say the original definition of sincerity had nothing to do with feelings at all. But rather to be sincere, that meant that something was honest, clean, pure, sound. Those who delve deeper into the word, they say it comes from two Latin words, sine and sere, literally meaning without wax. And though this is highly contested, with a lot of skepticism around this history, there's something that we can learn from it. Two aspects, actually. So, without wax. This was something that ancient beekeepers would say about their honey. Their honey was pure honey. No wax. No beeswax mixed in with the honey. Wax isn't honey, only honey is honey. My honey, it's not a mixture, it's pure. I sell sincere honey. Then, without wax. This is something that ancient sculptors would say about their statues. This statue is made of solid stone. Solid marble, solid alabaster. There's no flaw in this stone that had to be covered up with wax. No crack, no discoloration. A sincere statue. And so if we are sincere, we should not be mixing what is good with what is inferior. Mixing honey with wax. If we're sincere, we should not be lying about the quality of something, covering up the imperfections, waxing over the stone. If you're sincere, it means that you are honest and uncorrupted. This is one of the most important elements of the Christian life, that of sincerity, the true definition. It's one of the most important elements of how a Christian acts, how a Christian speaks to fellow Christians, and more importantly, how we speak to God. And so this afternoon, let us examine together the question, how then shall we pray? This is the answer, in total sincerity, from total vulnerability, and with total assurance. We must pray in total sincerity. Even though we value sincerity in others, it is one of the hardest things to bring about in ourselves. It's just easier for us to be insincere. It's easier to wax over our flaws and our struggles. 
It's easier to present a picture to the world that we have it all together. We're all put together. Our lives are amazing. This is why we frantically rush around the house right before company arrives. This is why we put a filter on our pictures. This is why we've gotten used to using the phrases, well, I'm doing okay, when really we mean the exact opposite. We say, it is what it is, when we want to show our frustration that things aren't how we want them to be. We use these terms to soften the blow. We use these terms to be polite and proper in society because having an open, honest conversation has become too difficult. We spread this wax over ourselves, this nice smooth layer. We spread it over ourselves and our lives, hiding the very real flaws, insecurities and frustrations, ultimately helping nobody at all. Now, even though how we interact with each other, how we live in this society together, it's a very worthy topic of discussion. This isn't our focus this afternoon. Our focus is how we interact, not horizontally with each other, but how we interact vertically between us and God. And this is the problem. We have allowed how we interact horizontally to color how we interact vertically. We end up hiding our true self from God, like we try to do with other people. We pray prayers that are sanitized, praying prayers that just wax over our true needs. We pray for grandpa, for the poor, the sick, and the needy. We ask God to forgive all our sins because we know that there are many, and this is where we leave it. We don't mention specific sins, specific struggles. We don't really talk to God. We never really talk to God. Instead, we say all the right things, and then we say amen. But these prayers aren't prayers that please God. These prayers are, as our Lord put it in Matthew 6, heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, using the same phrases again and again without meaning. And despite our protests, because I know this sounds offensive to some of you, our prayers start to look like the Roman Catholics with their Hail Marys. So what they say again and again, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Again and again. You go to a priest, they say, oh, you sinned, do ten Hail Marys. Just repeat these words. Or Muslims, as they pray five times a day, Allahu Akbar, God is great, again and again and again. Now, our words are different. We are praying to the real God. We're not praying to a human being. That is very offensive to pray to Mary. We're praying to a real God. We're not praying to Allah. Our words, they're different, but our prayers, they can be just as scripted. So let us not heap up our empty phrases. Let us not turn the Lord's Prayer into this either. The Lord's Prayer is not meant to be a script for us to speak in prayer. The disciples, when they asked for the Lord's Prayer, they asked how to pray. They didn't ask what to pray. The Lord's Prayer was Jesus' answer. You have to make prayer your own. You have to make it personal. You have to make prayer sincere. That's what our catechism says here. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? First, we must, from the heart, call upon the one true God only. We must call upon our Lord 
from the heart. We must be sincere without that wax cover. And we must be sincere without corruption, without the wax mixed in. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only. We have to pray honestly and we have to pray truthfully. And although this part of the catechism, it it could be read as a warning not to pray to other gods, don't pray to the Canaanite god Baal, the Greek god Zeus, or don't pray to Mary, don't pray to Allah, but this typically isn't our challenge in the church. This isn't really our struggle. Our struggle instead is to pray to the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. What we do sometimes instead is we pray to a God of our own imagining. This God is influenced by what we learn about Him in the Bible, but it's usually slightly altered, slightly transformed by our own experiences. God is a conservative to conservatives. Of course, God is pro-life, of course God is pro-family, but is He really a political conservative? God is a liberal to liberals. Of course God cares about the poor, but is he really a political liberal? And here's one that you might like. God is Dutch to Dutchmen. Of course God values hard work. Of course God isn't easily swayed. He doesn't easily change his mind. But is God really Dutch? Instead, let us pray to God not as we imagine him to be, but as he has revealed himself to be. Let us pray as blind Bartimaeus prayed, crying out before God. Such a simple but sincere prayer. Son of David, have mercy on me. Again and again the same words. But Bartimaeus, he wasn't heaping up these empty phrases. Instead, this was his sincere desire for God to show mercy to him. He prayed it again and again because he believed that one day his prayer would be answered. And Bartimaeus, he addressed his prayer to the one true God. Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Messiah. Bartimaeus was sincere with his words, and he was sincere with his address. And it's interesting, you look at the end of that reading, what happens after Bartimaeus prays, after he's answered by his prayer. Jesus said, go your way. And what do we read here? Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. His prayer was for mercy, his prayer was for healing, and what he experienced was not only his sight, but a life change. His way became the way of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. This is what happens when we pray with sincerity. Let our concept of God be sincere, without wax. Only God is God. Your politics don't factor into who he is. Your personality doesn't factor into who he is. God is the great I am. He is who he says he is, and nothing else. God is sincere, so let your understanding of him match his revelation. When we pray with his base of sincerity, praying with the right heart, praying in the right direction, we can also then pray from a place of total vulnerability. That's our second point. When we know who God is, When we accept this, and when we pray to the all-powerful and yet all-loving being, connecting personally with the King of the ages, the one who is immortal, invisible, the only God, 
when we can connect with Him personally as our Father. This can serve to break down barriers if we allow it to. As we sang at the beginning of the service, the two ultimate truths about God are that He is our strong defender, He's all-powerful, and that steadfast love is His. He is all-loving. The Catechism picks up on this language, not in this Lord's Day, but near the beginning. We read in the Catechism, He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. Almighty, all-loving. We have direct access to the most powerful being to have ever existed. The one who breathed existence into existence. And he uses all that power for us out of love. He's all-powerful, he's all-loving, and he is all-knowing. And we have to realize this. We have to realize that simply by not praying about something, you're not cutting God off from that information. If you're ashamed of your sins and you try to hide them, you might have some success with your friends and family. You might even have some success with yourself, living in deep denial. But you will never have any success with God. And so being vulnerable with God, it shouldn't be nearly as scary as being vulnerable with the other people around you. Because vulnerability with other human beings, it usually involves sharing something that you once kept secret. But with God, all your secrets are already known. He fully knows us. What is amazing is that He still loves us. He fully knows us and He fully loves us. And so, we shouldn't be afraid to lay our needs before God, to be vulnerable with Him, because the only thing that that can do is help. It will never hurt to be honest with God. There is nothing that you can tell Him that will make Him leave you or forsake you. There is nothing that you can say or do that will shock God. No sin that is greater than the cross of Christ. So confess your sins to God in prayer. What could be easier than this? But we don't. We don't confess. We we don't ask God. And instead we worry. We go to the extreme lengths to hide. Extreme lengths to make up for what we lack. Instead of merely asking. This is what we heard in our reading from James. What causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This isn't talking about asking your neighbor for a cup of sugar. It's talking about prayer. This is talking about asking God for the things that we need for this life. You don't have because you don't ask. It's because we're not comfortable being vulnerable with God. We're not comfortable with that power dynamic that has God as holy and us as sinful. With God as way up here so powerful and us way down here as powerless. But here's the hard truth. What you're comfortable with doesn't change the facts. What you're comfortable with doesn't change the facts. The the dynamic of God as holy and you as a sinner. It exists whether you confess your sins or not. 
the dynamic of God is powerful and you is powerless. It exists whether you ask God for strength or not. So why don't you embrace reality? If you fight reality, you may have limited success for a time, but reality always wins. If you refuse to live in reality, reality will come knocking on your door anyways. This is what the catechism means when it says, We must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. And this is exactly the same as with the gospel. For the good news to be good, you need to have that bad news first. With the gospel, we need to have some idea of our sins and misery for us to realize why it's such good news that Jesus came to save us from them. Because if we don't know our sins, we can't love our Savior. Let me say that again. If we don't know our sins, we can't love our Savior. This is true for prayer as well. Why would we ever pray to God if we don't know ourselves and our need? If we're in denial about how powerful we are, why would we feel the need to pray to an all-powerful God? Maybe I'm all-powerful too, then there's no need to pray. Maybe I am holy and glorious and worthy of admiration. Instead of me falling on my face before God, maybe He should do that for me. And we would never phrase it like that. It was difficult to write that. It was difficult to say that for me right now because it's so against everything we believe. Never phrase it this way because we know what happens. When this happens in Scripture, the four times that it happened, the offenders were cast out of heaven, cast out of the garden, given the mind of an animal, and eaten by worms, respectively. It's a very serious thing. We would never dare to say these words. And yet, even though we are not at that point in our spiritual life, we are not at that utterly blasphemous level of pride, when we refuse to acknowledge our need before God, we're on the same road. Even though not humbling yourself isn't at the same level as pridefully elevating yourself, it's exactly the same train track, just a little further down. And so we have to take that very seriously. We have to know ourselves. We have to truly know our needs and then fall on our faces before God, thankful that He would even stoop down to hear us, much less hear the things we have to say, hear our needs spelled out before Him. This is what Bartimaeus did. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus knew that he didn't deserve healing from Jesus Bartimaeus did not call Jesus over as an equal, as a buddy, but he knew his need and he knew his Lord. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let me recover my sight. He wasn't acting casual about his blindness. Bartimaeus didn't pretend like it was no big deal. He cried out again and again, knowing that he needed mercy. He cried out specifically to Jesus, asking for the recovery of his sight. Bartimaeus was vulnerable before God, and we must do the same. For it is something honorable to be vulnerable before God. It is something honorable to be on the side of reality, to know who we are, to know who God is. If God were simply all-powerful, then we would have very little hope. 
If God were able as Almighty God, but not willing as a faithful Father, then all would be lost. Our boldness before the throne when we pray would be life-threatening. Our boldness would be nothing more than foolishness. But this isn't who God is. Power and holiness, they're not the only two perfections of our God. If He was only about power and holiness, then there never would have been a Savior. There would be no gospel to preach. There would be no Christmas or Easter to celebrate. But God is loving. He does look upon us, His creation, in love. Everything He does is powerful. Everything He does is holy. But everything He does is also out of love. And because our God is both loving and love itself, we can pray with total assurance before Him. That's our final point. When we know who God is, when we know what He has done, then we can pray with confidence. We can pray boldly. We can pray in hope with total assurance. Not only that God hears our prayers, but that something amazing will happen as a result of them. Whenever we pray, something amazing happens. How could it not? We are communicating directly with the God of the universe. Each and every believer has that direct line of communication with God, and when sincere prayers from a place of total vulnerability reach the ears of God, the only possible result is something life-changing. Through prayer, we are changed. Every prayer that we pray strengthens that connection in our minds between us and God. Every prayer that we pray strengthens that connection in our minds between our need and prayer, our need and God's provision, our status and His status. Praying several times a day, every day for 60 or 70 years, there's that amazingly strong connection that develops. And through prayer, our situations are changed, not only our mind, but our situations. Now, we may not always receive the answer that we want, but each and every prayer that we pray is answered. And God answers each prayer in one of three ways. You may, you may have heard this before, but in a different way. You may have heard that God answers prayers with yes, wait, or no. But I say to you, the answers to, God, to prayer from God are yes, wait, or I have something better for you. God answers yes. There are times when you pray for something, when your desires align perfectly with God's will, and you receive exactly what you asked for. There are times when God's answer to your prayer is a simple yes. There are other times when God answers wait. There are times when you pray for something and your desires align perfectly with God's will, but not with His timing. There will be a time when you receive that thing that you asked for, but that time isn't right now, and you need to be patient. And so God gives you the patience to wait. God might answer you yes. He might answer you wait. And other times God will answer, I have something better for you. So much more comforting than a simple no. I have something better for you. 
There are times when you pray for something, but your prayers are too small. You might pray for happiness, and God chooses to give you joy instead. This is because God loves you too much to give you lesser things. He loves you too much to give you lesser things. We can have assurance because this is who God is. This is who He has always been, and this is how He has always worked with His people. As our catechism says, we rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. For God's ears have always been open to the cries of His people. But even more for us now, that Jesus Christ has granted direct access to the throne room of our God through His death and resurrection. We're not only God's people, but we are God's children. Not only is God our King, but He is our Father. What father would deny his children what is good? Not our Heavenly Father. He knows what is truly good and He grants what is truly good. And what is our assurance of this? How can we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will do this for us? Well, if our exalted position as God's children isn't enough, if this world around us full of beauty, full evidence of the providence of God isn't enough, then to our weak hearts God has given us another assurance. That assurance is in the cross of Christ. Now, the assurance isn't in the usual way of the cross, the usual focus of the cross, what Christ did for us on the cross. That's not our main assurance, though, of course, it matters immensely. But rather, the main assurance in the cross, when it comes to our prayers, is what the cross cost God. What did the cross cost? Well, the cross cost everything. God's love for us bankrupted heaven when He sent His only Son, His beloved Son, to die. This was the cost of the cross. The purpose of the cross was for us to be loved, for us to be saved, for us to be welcomed into everlasting fellowship. What the cross signals is what God is willing to do for you. What the cross signals is God's purpose for you, His end goal for you. What is God willing to do? What is He willing to pay? Everything. There is no cost that is too high. God will never deny you what you ask because it's too much work, because it's too much time, because it's too expensive for Him. He already paid the highest cost for you. Don't think that He is unwilling to give you what you need. What is God's end goal for you? It's to have life and life abundantly, life and life eternally, life and life joyfully. For our God, beloved, is sincere. God is who He says He is and nothing else. God is who He says He is. There is no hint of a lie. There is no hint of a change in Him. God will answer our prayers and do amazing things with them and through them. Because He is truth. Because He is love. Because He is God. Amen.